Well, good morning, church. Uh, we are here and we are continuing our series called Silence, Solitude and Sabbath. Now, if you missed last week, Jess kicked it off and I would strongly recommend that you pause here. You go back to last week and you have a listen. And if you're kind of like, uh, I'm actually like way too busy to listen to two messages or to go back and listen, then for you, you should definitely go back and listen. It's there on our YouTube. It's there on our website. It's very important and a very powerful message. And I feel like it won't be a secret to anyone who actually knows me that it feels like God has kind of been preparing me for this series for maybe like two years because I would be the first person to admit that I have had a very serious phone addiction and I don't say that lightly and I'm still battling it. But one of kind of the most like startling things that I've discovered over the couple, like the last couple of years is that it is so socially acceptable. Like it is not like any other addiction where people, you know, kind of like irk up at it or like want to help or things like that because everyone is doing it. And so as we continue with this series and as we, um, open up the word today. I would just like to encourage you whether that crux for you might be your phone or your work or your device or just busyness in general. Let me actually just like say it black and white that it is actually an idol and that might be confronting to hear or it might be scary to hear, but um, the Bible actually says of idols, it says those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And it says, go and cry out to the gods you have chosen and let them save you when you're in trouble. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. And I feel like those could not be more clear that the state of the world in which we turn to other things before we turn to God is so dire and needs to be taken super seriously and not just brushed off as like it's the normal and it's what everybody is doing. And I feel like for such a time as this, learning the art or maybe like less the art and more the discipline or maybe not even like the discipline, but kind of like learning the slog of silence and solitude and Sabbath is like the key to revival. And I don't just mean like, you know, revival that they preach in the 80s. I mean, personal revival. The lockdown has kind of showed us that we're not talking about a revival where the church is bursting at the seams and there are people just everywhere because like the Holy Spirit has left the building for now. And gone are the days where it's just the pastor or the spiritual leaders who are carrying that responsibility to be Jesus in the community. And instead, the responsibility is on us to be Holy Spirit carriers, just as the word says. And, you know, I think that it's important that we reflect now that at a time when we're not showing up and getting gratification or acknowledgement from other people, you are here and we are here voluntarily on a Sunday when there's no one to pat you on the back, there's no boxes to tick, we're volunteering some of our Sunday up. And to me, that would suggest, and to each of us, we should reflect that that actually means that we want something from this relationship with God. We don't want it to just be religion. We don't want it to just be, you know, we're another stat in the news or we're another box on the census, but instead we're people who have a relationship with Jesus and we can stand against this culture. And so I feel like for all of us, this series is so timely. It's our time to actually commit and not just sit and be seen and to just continue on with our week. And so my advice to you 
And my exhortation to you is that you would use these Sunday services as like an anchor and take them into your week. Take them as teaching, take them as encouragements, take them as a time of separated worship to God and actually go into your week and put them into practice because that is the way that we'll be on the right track for a revival in the land of the Holy Spirit. And I feel like, like I said before, revival doesn't just look like big stadiums filled and things like that. But what I think in 2021 revival looks like in a time where kind of busyness and hustle makes the human race feel more like a race than ever. It's kind of like we're just all sprinting sprinting along one another's side and you look to the other person you say like where are we actually going right now what are we doing this for and they say I don't know but I know that if you stop you're going to get left behind and so we're running out of fear we're running out of confusion but we know that we're puffed and we know that we're exhausted and I wonder what the world would be like if the people of North Lakes and the Christians in Newcastle would actually take heed to that scripture that says do not conform to the patterns of this world And instead, we would take the slow lane and we would learn this art of slowing down. And when somebody is coming alongside of us, exhausted and worn out and hurting, we would be able to show them that we're walking in those unforced rhythms of grace. We would be able to come alongside them and actually help them and reach out to them and show them that there is a way of living that is life to the full way. You can enjoy moments for what they are and Think that it's really easy to even just like hear the word revival and be like, I actually can't be bothered with that. I can't. I can't be bothered to do another thing in my week. I can't be bothered to message someone in family investment time. I actually am just really tired and I just need today to just like stop. And what I would pose to you is that perhaps that God has actually put that cry in your heart on purpose. And if it is something that you're willing for him to deal with, and you would be willing to turn and face him to actually um, confront that, then I think he would be willing and I would love to be able to pray for you and with you as we start this sermon. And I think that all of us have a little bit of that in us, you know, where we're feeling tired and exhausted because the world is so stimulating and it is so exhausting. And we read this beautiful peace that exists in the Bible and it can feel so far away. So If you kind of are at that place where you're like, it feels like there should be more and I thought there would be more and I want to live that life that just sounds so tranquil and lovely and where I can actually appreciate those small moments and time with my family or friends or whatever it may be, then I think that God has put that call on your heart for a reason and it's time to face him and actually walk with him in um, releasing that as an idol from your life. And so God, as we continue this series, and we continue to push forward in a way that we would stand and resist the culture and the um, patterns of this world, Lord. I just ask that you would just refresh us, that we would be able to feel like a deep inhale and a deep exhale in our spirit. I just pray that as we hear the word and as we sit in your presence and as you um, can see that we have this time set aside to actually voluntarily seek you, I pray that you would minister to us in such a real way that we wouldn't leave this service change, God. I pray that despite the odds of lockdown, of changed church services, of meeting online, God, you would use this to um, bring a personal revival, like a dead person being revived back to life, God. And we would feel that in such a personal way, God, whether it's for the first time or whether it is for the first time in 20 years, God. I pray for a personal revival 
starting from this very service in Jesus' name. So we are in the book of First Kings chapter 19. And so the, uh, we're picking up this story right after the prophet Elijah stood up to like 450 prophets of Baal. And he did this by proving that the Lord, his God, and the Lord, our God, is actually the God. And he just did it in like the most epic way. I don't know if you've read the story or if you've heard the story, but if you have time this week or if you allocate some time to reading the word and sitting in silence, I would really recommend this one. It was like, um, it's like the epic, like thriller stage of the Old Testament. So that is in 1 Kings chapter 18 and it is awesome. And then so we see... um, That chapter finishes like this. So this is the end of chapter 18 and it says, Things happened fast. Classic Old Testament thriller vibes. Things happened fast. The the sky grew black with wind-driven clouds and then a huge cloudburst of rain. With Ahab hightailing it in his chariot for Jezreel and and God strengthened Elijah mightily. Pulling up his robe and tying it around his waist, Elijah ran in front of Ahab's chariot until they reached Jezreel. So Elijah is here running in front of a horse and carriage. That is how epic this story gets. And then we start chapter 19 like this. Ahab reported to Jezebel, who was his um, very powerful and very scary wife. Ahab reported to Jezebel everything Elijah had done, killed the 450 prophets, including the massacre of the prophets. Jezebel immediately sent a messenger to Elijah with her threat. The gods will get you for this, and I will get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. And when Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there, and he went into the desert another day's journey. And he came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade. Wanting in the worst day to in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. And I love that here we see Elijah's humanness. We just saw him do all these amazing things and speak with this incredible faith and pray this amazing prayer. And yet here we see him literally suicidal in the presence of God saying, I've had enough. I literally cannot do it anymore. And he isolated himself, which was a big deal for Elijah, who was a lover of community. He left his servant friend back in the town and he ran to God. And when he got there, he he declared that he was suicidal. And then he literally just fell asleep from exhaustion. And I feel like this here is biblical rest and it is not what any of us would have expected, I don't think. And then it says, suddenly an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. And I feel like when I first read this, I was like, oh yeah, like spiritually, like read the Bible and sit in God's presence. And then he looked around and to his surprise, right by his head were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and went back to sleep. So we're talking about physical meal and physical sleep. The angel of God came back, shook him awake and said, get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. So he got up, he ate, he drank his fill and set out. And nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and nights all the way to the mountain of God, to Horeb. And when he got there, he crawled into a cave and went to sleep. And then the word of God came to him. It said, so Elijah, what are you doing here? And I feel like in this story, there are so many messages that you can pull out of it. But we learn that our physical and emotional and spiritual health 
aren't just like separate spheres of our life, but instead they coexist. And it is impossible to try and nourish our spiritual self and tap into that and learn solitude and be our best Christian if we're not taking care of ourselves physically and emotionally. And again, like the thing with the phones, like it's socially acceptable to just like live on black coffee, but it is not wise. It is not godly. And um, when we actually do get to rest, I feel like we don't even let ourselves get these get face these feelings. We're busy, we're distracted, we're tethered to other things. And so when we are getting ready to sleep, we're not even kind of aware of that own desperation. And it's said that so many of us are marked by an undercurrent of anxiety. And I feel like it's because when we have that time to rest and when we feel desperately tired, we don't lay down and we don't enjoy silence and we don't actually rest. We might pick up our phone or we might pick up a book or we might complain to our spouse, but we would never let ourselves actually get to the feeling of facing those desperate feelings. And I think that that is something that we can learn from Elijah here. And if you're at a place like Elijah was, where you're just running and you don't know where and you don't know how, but you're just kind of wrecked, And whether that means that you've come off this really powerful Christian experience or whether you're just tired and weary and worn out, maybe you actually just need to start your journey of solitude and silence with like a good sleep and a meal. And I don't say that lightly and I don't say that just like conversationally, but like put your device away for the night, put your book down, silence your email, turn off the TV and actually just feel those emotions and you might feel really bad. But have a good night's sleep and actually let your body rest enough for you to be able to face them and seek God some more for them. And if you're thinking, I can't sleep soundly, I can't stop the run, I can't cut down my hours at work, I actually need to be on my emails all the time because what if something happens and what if my child wakes me up or what if someone calls in sick and all of these busy thoughts that just become chaos in our minds. Let me read this scripture of you because for me it was like medicine and it is in Psalm 127 verse 1 to 2. Again, I would recommend that you read every translation of this um, scripture because it is so powerful and so glorious. And it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, tolling for food to eat. For he, grants, for he grants sleep to those he loves. And I feel like this scripture shows that, that God actually wants to give you rest. And being overworked and refusing to rest is not a badge of honor. And it's not only in vain, aka pointless, but it is also an act of self-righteousness. Like for me, a big conviction was that if God wasn't busy enough when he was creating the world, when he was creating natural laws, when he was creating photosynthesis, he was developing gravity. If he wasn't too busy to rest when he was doing that, why why do I think that I'm too busy to rest when I'm doing whatever I'm doing? Because I feel like it's an important way to shift our mindset there. Is it because that you think that maybe your work is too important to rest from? And that's another really hard confrontation to to actually take to God and to face. And we we do a really good job of avoiding it when that noise is so loud and the distractions are so appealing and things like that. It's easy to escape from, but 
They're hard questions, but they're really important answers. And so maybe you're actually hearing that and being like, you're being a bit harsh. Like you don't know my circumstances. I'm working in a job or I'm at this season of parenthood and I'm actually in a role that God has positioned me in. And there's so much happening on the outside that I just need to manage and I'm just going to get it all in control. Now's not a good time, but if I don't do it, who's going to do it? And I hear those voices and they're completely valid. And let me like remind you of that, that those feelings are so valid. But let me tell you that we see this sentiment echoed in the gospel as well. So flip over to the New Testament and in Matthew 8, 23, we see Jesus in a really similar position to Elijah. He's just come off the back of this like big spiritual peak moment where he's been healing all the masses and he's been seeing people and he's been making these incredible differences. And we see in verse 23, he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. And suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And now when the disciples were out there worrying and trying to tame the storms, why weren't they just resting with Jesus? I feel like the answer is actually still what we're grappling with today. Some of them were fishermen, so they're familiar with the waters. And so perhaps they actually felt like it was their obligation or their job to keep going and to keep working hard and to keep making sure the ship was in order. Maybe they were thinking like, if I rest now, the work's just not going to do itself. The boat's just not going to stay afloat. My job's just not going to keep running. Our business isn't going to keep growing. And maybe they thought, now is just seriously not a good time to rest. You can understand why the, why the disciples might have thought that. Maybe it's that we don't trust that God will actually keep us safe. Maybe it's that we're afraid. Maybe it's that we want to just take matters into our own hands so we can feel like we have some sort of sense of control. And all of those things are valid because they are human. And like we saw Elijah's humanness before, it is okay to go before God and admit those things. But without silence and solitude and actually learning that practice, we don't even get in front of him enough to be able to actually express it. And so I feel like these are hard questions to face on our own lives. And I think our addiction to noise does its best to prevent us from even facing them. But these two stories show us that whether our chaos is external like the news, like the numbers, like the conversation around vaccines, like what's happening in Afghanistan. All of these things are loud and scary and fear inciting. Or whether our, our chaos is internal, like, like Elijah's was. Maybe that is suicidal thoughts. Maybe that is depression. Maybe that is dredging up past trauma that might trigger you. We're not commanded to just keep going, to just keep pushing on, but we're commanded to stop and rest and lean into the one whom even the winds and the waves obey. And he's the one who sees you when you're physically rested, when you're emotionally healing and waits till you're ready to ask your spirit, what are you actually doing here? And that's where we find purpose and that's where we find revelation. And I feel like resting in, the middle of your, resting in the middle of your storm sounds really great. It sounds like a really great sermon title. And I feel like it just sounds awesome. But just like Jess did last week, I want this to be really practical to implement into your week. 
And so Henry Nguyen has this great quote that says, solitude is not a private therapeutic place, rather it's a place of conversion, the place where the old self dies and the new self is born. So firstly, let me just dispel any miscommunications about practicing silence and solitude. And this is coming from a highly extroverted, highly strung, addicted to achieving, loves people, loves noise, loves all of it kind of gal. And it feels like your old self is actually dying for a while. And it is not mystical and it's not beautiful and it's not floor cushion and incense and eyes closed kind of moment. It feels like you're just facing the layers of junk that you've accumulated. It looks like itching with your to-do list, wrestling with compromise, waiting for the timer to come down, like it's not pretty and you feel like you're doing it wrong for the first few times, promise. But Nuon continues to say that silence is such a force and it is because it is truly one of the only places where we're laid bare. There's no calls to make, no to-do lists, no music, a nothingness that is so dreadful that everything in me wants to run to my friends my work, my distractions, so that I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe that I'm actually worth something. And for me, it can actually feel, or at first, when I feel like my soul is super just like chaotic, it feels like a prison within a timer. But when it's practice, that's where we surrender to Jesus and actually find freedom in it. And so my practical advice for you and what I found worked for me is to set a timer for 15 minutes a day. And if you can't find that, make it less. And if you can't bear it, make it less again. Sit outside or sit somewhere and be silent. Sit on the shower room floor if that works. It will be hard and painful and gross and it will definitely feel like you're doing it wrong. It doesn't have to feel like this great spiritual release at first, but that's okay because that's what we saw Elijah do. And that's what we saw Jesus rest in the middle of in his story. Whether you spend that time acknowledging the gross chaos, it doesn't matter because the fact is it's there anyway. So you can choose to acknowledge it now or you can choose to acknowledge it down the track when you're burnt out and exhausted over and over again. But that, church, is the ticket to renewal and to revival. And like Isaiah says, that is streams in the wasteland. And that is what we're doing through learning this practice is finding the streams of living water in the wasteland that is this world. And that is our call call in Christian revival, that first we would be revived and then we would actually be the streams of living wasteland. So like I said, it hasn't been pretty for me and I've been doing it in 15 minute increments. And on, I think the third day that I did it, I was sitting in my backyard on the ground counting it down, trying really hard to resist pulling weeds out of the grass or something and just sitting there with my own to-do list and wishing that I would just text that person and write back to that person and maybe we could do this and all of these things. And I was just sitting there and I said, God, help my mind to be still. And literally I looked over and we have this like blossom tree in our backyard and I was just looking at it. And the more I looked at it, I saw it has one flower on it. It has, it is like completely dead, completely desolate, I guess, cause it's been winter, but I saw one flower and I saw it and I just bawled my eyes out because I feel like firstly, I got my first like big preaching moment of a tree, but I saw it and I just thought this is my journey of solitude in like an image and that it is, there is so much 
that feels like it's desolate and so much that feels like it's dying. But then there was one flower that felt like renewal and it felt like God had just given that to me as a gift into my soul. And I promise you, church, as you practice this and as you learn it and as you slog it out, there is fruit from it and there is stuff that blooms from it. And it's not always hard and messy and burdensome, but it is freeing and it is beautiful. And you see a facet of God that you don't otherwise see. So let me pray for you as we close. God, thank you so much for your grace that is enough to forgive a multitude of sins, God, whether that is idolatry, whether that is distraction, whether that is um, just the chaos of thinking that we are righteous enough to save ourselves, God. I pray that you would rescue us from the sin that we find ourselves in, God. And as we come to you with repentant hearts, ones that are desiring change, desiring freedom, liberation from chains, God, I pray that you would show mercy upon us. You would show kindness like that single flower, God, and you would give each of us just the most tiny glimmer of hope in the situation in which we're at, God, and that that hope would compel us to change our lives through this week. And with changed lives comes revival, both personally and in our church, God. So I pray that over Newcastle and over our area, that we would live um, as people who are changed and redeemed and truly love people as you loved us, God. Pray that we would be the start of um, a movement that sees people loved and valued and honored in Jesus' name.